Well, in the grace, mercy, and peace of our loving Lord Jesus Christ, I want to welcome each and every one to our service of worship and celebration on this Palm Sunday morning. And if you're visiting with us, we really want to welcome you, and, and we are glad you are here with us. We'd love to have a record of your visit with us, so you'll find a, a welcome card in the pew in front of you. If you fill that out and just drop it off over in the Welcome Center during our cafe following the morning service, we would really appreciate that. Or if you have questions, or if you would like to, are interested in membership, or any of those things, you can use that card. We'd love to have you do that. Now, of course, this is Holy Week as we've entered into it. And that means we are into our Easter celebrations. But at the same time, we're also mindful that we're still going through the 30 days of prayer for our Muslim brothers and sisters. And we're praying for them and specifically for salvation. So remember that if you have committed to that, to keep praying and pray throughout this week for them. The Easter services are coming up with Good Friday. And uh, this coming Friday is Good Friday. We'll be observing the day at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning, okay, with a service, which will include sharing together at the communion table here in the church. Uh, Easter Sunday. Easter is always a special day. And uh, we're going to begin at 8 o'clock in the morning, okay? So 8 o'clock is our early service. It'll be a short devotional service here in the sanctuary, and then we will be going over to the gym for a, a light breakfast, and everybody is welcome for that, but we do need you to sign up, okay? So there are sign-up sheets on the Welcome Center in the gym, and be sure to sign up so that we have enough food here for everyone. And then, of course, we will have our celebration resurrection service at 10 o'clock. Now, to help you keep that straight, we've printed up some little cards with everything that's happening. They're available at the Welcome Center in the gym as well. And uh, they're designed for, to help you remember what's happening, but also to, to pick up a couple of extra and hand them out to your neighbors and to friends. Because again, Easter is a time when sometimes people who normally don't come to church will come. And we'd love to invite them and have them part of our celebrations here with us. So be sure at the end of the service to join us over at the uh, SPBC Cafe. Uh, talk to somebody you haven't perhaps seen for a while or talk to somebody you've never talked to before and enjoy some time of fellowship. Meanwhile, we'll turn the service to the worship team. Good morning, everyone. And welcome once again to our Sunday morning service. Thanks for joining us for this time of corporate worship. I want to begin this morning with these words from Psalm 136. It says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. He remembered us in our lowest state. His love endures forever and freed us from our enemies. His love endures forever. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. And let's see if you're listening. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Ah, what a beautiful church <laughs> paying attention this early Sunday morning. Yes, indeed, we are giving thanks to God for he is good. And yes, the theme is that his love endures forever. It's true in my life. I know it's true in the life of everyone who's had an experience in, 
walking with God, his love is always there, true love that endures forever. And we want to celebrate that this morning. So I invite you, if you're able now, to stand with us and let's begin to celebrate the fact that his love does indeed endure forever. Our God and King, His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. Mighty hand and outstretched arm, His love endures forever. Life that's been reborn, His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise, sing praise, sing praise. Forever God is faithful, forever God is strong, forever God is. setting sun His love endures forever And by the grace of God we will carry on His love endures forever Sing praise Sing praise Sing praise Sing praise Forever God is faithful
children this morning. Father, we, we thank you so much. Thank you that we can just be here to sing your praise today because you have saved us. And our children are here this morning to testify that you are salvation. You are the God who saves. We thank you for these children who are a gift, a blessing from you. 
And we, we pray your blessing over them this morning as they go to Bible Town. We pray that you would give them eyes to see and ears to hear. May they see Jesus once again this morning and sense his love. And I pray for their teachers that you would grant them patience and, and wisdom as they continue to teach them and help them see more of Jesus. Once again, thank you that you are our Savior, and we honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. amen. Can we give our children an, a, a, an encouraging hand clap this morning for joining us? Thank you, children. You can go to Bible Town. You may be seated. At this time, I do want to uh, take some time just to pray uh, for offerings that have been given this week. This is your weekly reminder for me. Uh, Sunday morning services, you come in person, you can drop your offering envelope at the back in one of those two gray boxes. Uh, that's one way to do it. There's also the e-transfer way of doing it. You can do that by using the email giving at stanleyparkbaptist.com. Remember to include your address uh, and uh, just let us know uh, what the gift is for, what you're designating it for. Uh, otherwise, it's just going into the general fund. There's also automated uh, giving forms that are available in the office, so you can get that there. And, of course, you can give online by clicking our donate button on our website at stanleyparkbaptist.com give. You can do that. Again, uh, I'm very thankful because I know a lot of you have already uh, done that. Thank you for your faithful giving. Uh, and that's, that's just another way that we worship the Lord here and make sure that uh, what the Lord wants to do, he can do. And he's using us to do that through our offering. So join me at this time and let's uh, pray and uh, commit the offerings that have been given to the Lord. Father, once again, we acknowledge that you are our source, and, and we know that you are an abundant God. Everything that we have, we have received from you, uh, and we're so grateful for that. It is out of your grace and great mercy that you've given us so much. And so our offering we give to you today a small portion of what you have already given us. And with it, we worship you and we give our whole selves to you. And we pray that you would take what has been given and use it for your kingdom, for your glory, for your purposes. Thank you that we can be part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray and we thank you. And God's people said, amen. We have a special number uh, this morning. I pray that it blesses you. Take it away, Adam. Awesome. Well, this is the Blood Melody, and my daughter Mia is going to be uh, joining me this morning. And uh, so please stand if you're uh, able to and uh, sing along. Power of the Lamb, power, power, 
Jesus for the cleansing power. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this side? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you garments spotless and white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? just wonderful, wasn't it? To be able to sing together and to be able to praise our God uh, for that soul-cleansing blood. You know, one of the greatest privileges we have as Christians is to be able to go into the throne room of God and to speak with him directly. You don't have to have a priest intercede on your behalf. Christ is our high priest. He's already there. But you need to come. 
and you need to give your time and yourself into prayer to our God. And one of the greatest privileges we have when we worship our God is to come before him in prayer. Would you bow with me in prayer now? Our Heavenly Father, as we gather together around your throne of grace this morning, we come with praise and with worship. We come in awe of the almighty creator God of the universe, the triune God of our salvation, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We come, we bow, we lift these, our prayers and petitions and praise to you and to you alone for you are God and we are not. Lord Jesus Christ, on this Palm Sunday, we come lifting our shouts of Hosanna and our praises to you for you entered the holy city of Jerusalem in triumph. You were proclaimed Messiah and a king by those who, who spread garments and branches along the way. And we exalt you, O Lord, for you have proven to, uh, to be so much more than the Messiah you were thought to be. And your kingdom is forever and ever, and you will reign forever. But Jesus, how you had to agonize, how you had to suffer, you had to bleed. And you did it all for us. For we who are nothing but guilty and often vile sinners, you have made the way for us to be made right. Your love is so great that it actually held you to that awful cross. So on this Palm Sunday, Lord Jesus, we, we rejoice that we too may follow you in the way of the cross and that dying and rising with you, we may enter into your kingdom. For you are our savior, and we rejoice in the salvation you paid so dearly to give us. By your suffering, by your death, you have freed us from sin and eternal, eternal death. And yet, O oh Lord, we still find ourselves struggling, sometimes failing, often giving in to temptations and sins, that we know, we, we know have no place in our lives, and yet we do them. And so, dear Lord, we come acknowledging that we are still sinners, but claiming the truth of your word that tells us that if we but confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Jesus, we come. For there are many things we have done that we know we shouldn't have even as there are many things we know we should have done, but have not. Gracious Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive us for our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, we pray. For by, by your, your suffering and by your death, you have freed us from sin and death and risen, Lord, from the grave. Jesus, you lead us to the joy of new life, life that is found in you, life that you give, life that you bless. And so this morning, praising you for answered prayer, we come. For Peter, Stan, and Aileen, we thank you that Peter has a placement in a home where his needs will be met and the demands of, of life will be eased on Stan, Stan and Aileen. We thank you that Peter didn't have to go to Freeport and you are providing in every way.
And as we praise you for answered prayer, we're reminded again of Murray's need for a placement in a home as well. We lift up those who are needing a touch from your healing hand. We think of our brother Grant and thank you that his ribs are healing and yet they're, they're still painful. And we pray that he will be able to bear that pain more every day. We pray for Janice and the ongoing struggles she faces every day. For Will's dad, for Nancy's battle with cancer, for Anne as she faces surgery on Wednesday morning, and for Nancy and Harvey and their issues, for Susan's brother Ken, for so many others who are dealing with aging bodies and failing health. You are Jehovah Rapha, and while on earth, Lord Jesus, you healed many, please bring healing to those in need today. We pray for our seniors, especially those who, who can't make it out like they used to, for those who are shut in, Doreen, Ruth and Freeman, Stan, Esther, Elaine, Dorothy, Annette, and many others who are struggling. We pray for those who are dealing with loss and struggling with grief and those who need your gentle touch and kind voice. Wipe tears away when they come. Lift spirits when they sag. And be there to fill the loneliness when it threatens to overwhelm. Lord God, lead us in the way of Christ. Give us courage to take up our own cross and to bear it in the full reliance upon your grace, to follow our Lord as, as we make our way through living life here on earth. Help us to love you above all else, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And to that end, we particularly want to pray for, our, for Muslims around the world in this time of Ramadan, that you might shine the light of truth and grace into the darkness of the world, and may we who have opportunity faithfully tell of your love, even as we might demonstrate your mercy and grace in some practical way. We pray for our missionaries, for those serving in difficult situations. We pray for strength and for provision, for understanding, and for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus, even as we ask for our own need of strength to serve you faithfully until the day that you promise to come back, until the day you promise to take us to glory with you, when we will feast with you at your table in heaven above. And now, dear Lord, as we gather around your word, as Pastor Gary shares the message you've laid on his heart to share with us, may your spirit work in our hearts and minds. May your word accomplish all you send it out to do, for we pray all these things in the strong and most powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you, Paul. Thank you to our, our worship team. Thank you, Adam and Mila. That, that was amazing. That, uh, that piano was, was hopping there. That was great. Thank you. Thank you for that ministry of music and just singing praise to our Savior Jesus. And uh, we are entering into that most important week of the Christian calendar year, Holy Week. 
where we will be exalting our God, praising Him, sharing the good news, declaring the good news, I pray, each one of us, of the gospel uh, that is so needed in this world right now. Um, <clears throat> today, I just want to say welcome. Thank you for joining us, for, for making this an important part of your day. Uh, this, is, this is the pinnacle of our week. This is where God's family comes together uh, to, to celebrate, uh, to enjoy a meal together, the meal of His Word. And I just pray that uh, the Lord will speak to you today, uh, that He will give us ears to hear what He is saying. I want to start with uh, a couple of slides here. I was looking up some of the most expensive travel destinations in the world, not because we're planning a trip or could even afford to. Um, actually, do you collect air miles? Has anyone ever been able to actually do anything with the air miles, like go anywhere? I, I feel like we've been collecting these things in our household for like 20 years, and uh, and I think we have like eight miles or something like that. <laughs> it's like we can get halfway down the runway. Um, but no, I was looking up some of the most expensive travel destinations according to TravelOffPath.com. This is a website uh, that sort of specializes in these, these sort of special trips you can take. I'm going to show you some pictures, so I, I hope that uh, this doesn't uh, make you too envious of, of being in these places today. But Antarctica... Okay, um, with the average cruise cost to Antarctica sitting around 8000 per person and luxury voyages exceeding 15000 a person, it's easy to understand why this is one of the most expensive destinations in the world, according to this website. Do, do you know what the average cost of a trip here, I think it's a two-week trip, would be? Can anyone guess? Average trip cost? Oh, Okay. Seventeen, $17,730.93. That's a lot of money to go to Antarctica. Um, that was number three on their top ten list of most expensive. Number two, Botswana, Africa. It's considered uh, the safari dream. It's one of the most popular, safest destinations that people think of when they're planning a safari, but it's also one of the most expensive. Very similar in price to... Antarctica, $17,753.80. If you have that burning a hole in your pocket, you want to plan a trip to Botswana, you can do that. Um, number one, does anyone have any guess what the number one, according to this site at least, the, the number one most expensive destination to travel is? Norway, Norway space, there you go. <laughs> uh, Congo, yeah. Uh, from high fuel prices, high taxes, expensive accommodations, planes and boats, only a select few with a healthy budget <laughs> can afford to visit the Congo. Average individual trip cost, drum roll, $32,420 for one. That's for one, please. One ticket, please. Ah, wow. We can dream, can't we? That's all I can do. As expensive as these trips are, they cannot compare to the most costly trip ever taken. It happened 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago. Um, I'm talking about the trip that, that all the money in the world couldn't cover. Jesus' trip to Jerusalem. In the 1950s, 
Parker Brothers, who makes the game Monopoly, they released a board game aimed at church-going families about this most expensive trip ever taken called Going to Jerusalem. And in the game, each player got to be a real disciple, a little plastic man, looked like this, in a robe with a beard and sandals, and starting in Bethlehem, all the players would move across the board by rolling dice and answering questions with the help of a small copy of the New Testament. And if the, the player rolled well and answered all the questions right, they would go all the way to a triumphal entry into Jerusalem and win the game. That, that was the ultimate goal and prize. It was the equivalent of getting boardwalk in Monopoly, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. You see, to ensure for a fun, safe adventure, players only made their way through the pleasant parts, the nice stories in the Gospels. And uh, there was nothing that wasn't pleasant in the game. There were no angry Pharisees plotting to kill Jesus. No arrest, no trial, no scourging. There was no sin, suffering, or shame. No crucifixion or resurrection or ascension for that matter. Sadly, that's the approach many churches have adopted when it comes to the gospel. Watering it down, editing it, adapting it to sort of the culture and the morality of our culture. It's tragic. We know that the Christian life is, is not a fun, safe adventure. Indeed, Jesus' life was anything but fun and safe. He knew full well what going to Jerusalem meant and, and what had to happen when he got to Jerusalem. And he knew that that trip was going to cost him. It would be the most costly trip ever taken because Jesus, the Son of God, was headed for the cross. Today is Palm Sunday. I loved, I loved having the kids. This is always, this was always a highlight for us as kids because we'd come up here. Now, they had to leave them here. I think we got to keep ours. Um, these things, by the way, you can, you can slice your finger on these, these leaves, but um, do they smell? Mm, yeah, they're real. They're good. Um, the palm branch. That was always a highlight, uh, celebrating on Palm Sunday, Hosanna. I, I was one of those kids coming up here shouting, Hosanna, loud Hosanna to our Savior Jesus. Um, this is, as I said, this is the beginning of Holy Week leading up to Easter, which is the most significant week in the Bible. Here's some uh, interesting content facts. The Gospel of Matthew, 33% of the Gospel of Matthew is devoted to the last week of Jesus' life. Mark, 40%, all focused on the last week of Jesus' life. Luke, quarter of the book, 25%, is focused on that last week. And John, 50%. Half the Gospel of John is focused on Holy Week. So obviously, it's, it's very important that we understand specifically this day that, that we recognize today, Palm Sunday. It's, it's one of the few events in Jesus' life recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. And John 12 is where I'd ask you to turn with me if you have your Bibles today, John chapter 12. As you're turning there, 
want to just uh, set up the, the scene here for you, the context of, of what has taken place just before this passage. Jesus already had a huge crowd of people following him, largely made up of those who had witnessed his miracles, which were incredible. And his miracles culminated in the miraculous raising of Lazarus from the dead. You can read about that in John chapter 11. And from this incredible and very public miracle, the Pharisees, of course, they were threatened. They were up in arms. Their entire religious system was threatened by Jesus. Their authority was threatened by Jesus. So they were ticked off. Here's what we read in John 11, verse 48. Here's, this is the Pharisees. This is what they're thinking, in fact, what they're speaking. If we let Jesus go on like this, everyone, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away, should say away, both our place and our nation. And so verse 53, from that day on, they plotted to take his life. Now, if you recall our, our last message in Acts, we saw this very same thing happen to the apostles. You remember that? Their growing power and influence, that, that was a threat to the Jewish leaders in the Sanhedrin. It filled them with jealousy and rage, and so they plotted to kill the apostles. It only happened to them. Persecution only happens to Christians because it happened to Jesus. It happened to Christ. They represent his name. They speak in his name. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you too. They, they will hate you, Jesus said, because of my name. So be ready for that. Well, here's... What we see here, it happened to Jesus first, and uh, it was the Pharisees' jealousy that wanted, that, that led them to kill Jesus, plot to kill him. And then we see this, verse 54, therefore Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples for a little while, until, we're just stepping through this very quickly, until six days before the Passover, chapter 12, verse 1. By the way, the, the Passover took place in late March. It was the most important festival there was in the Jewish calendar. In fact, Jewish pilgrims would come from all over the known world to celebrate Israel's exodus from captivity in Egypt on the Passover. As the Paschal Lamb, as you recall, was slain, the blood sprinkled over the doors of the Israelites. Well, they would commemorate this with the Passover feast. And six days before that was to take place, it says Jesus arrived at Bethany where Lazarus lived. <laughs> Lazarus who died, now lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And so there, there's this great feast. Um, Mary and Martha prepared, prepared this wonderful feast. Uh, they, they celebrate what, what Jesus had done there. Jesus is with Lazarus. Lazarus is reclining at the table there with him. And then it says this in verse 9. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. They, they needed to see this to believe it. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were, were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. So the, their, their whole approach is like just kill Jesus and, and basically everybody who gives credence and testimony to what he's done, to his power. So 
That is why up to this point, Jesus slipped into the city more or less under the radar to avoid attention because he was one of Jerusalem's most wanted. The Jewish leaders wanted to kill him. But now, on this day, Jesus is about to enter Jerusalem publicly demanding the attention of the Jewish people who for that one brief moment, as Pastor Paul said in his prayer, they recognize who Jesus is. They don't fully understand it, but he's the king, he's the Messiah, and they want him crowned. Here's how John records it, beginning at verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, so they took palm branches and went out to meet him. Palm branch. In ancient Israel, the palm branch was a symbol of strength, salvation, and ultimately victory. You know what it was like? It's kind of like the Canadian flag for us, the maple leaf. It became a nationalistic symbol for for Israel. They would wave this. It, It symbolized, represented their undying hope in God's promise of a Messiah, a Savior to liberate His people from the Romans, from Roman domination. Which is why Jesus entered Jerusalem, and the great crowds, they they held these, they laid the palm branches down, and what did they shout? They shouted, Hosanna, as we sang this morning, Hosanna. This is a really amazing word. Uh, The English word Hosanna comes from the Greek word Hosanna, which comes from the Hebrew word Hosanna, the phrase Hoshiana, technically, and that's found once in the Bible, once in the Old Testament. One time, Psalm 118. And that psalm, Psalm 118, was traditionally read and recited at Passover because it looks ahead to the coming Messiah. That's what the psalmist is seeing and writing about, singing about. Hoshiana. Here it is. Psalm 118.25. Doesn't look like that in English, but that's what it is. Hoshiana. Lord, save us. It was a desperate cry to the Lord to save. That's what it meant originally. But over the centuries, something happened. The meaning changed in the ordinary language of the Jews. Look at verse 26. They began to incorporate the next verse. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You see, the psalmist's cry for help, Lord save us, is immediately answered by what? The coming of the Savior. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's exactly what the people shout. Look at John 12, verse 12. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're quoting Psalm 118. And then they add this. Blessed is the king of Israel. So to be clear, Hosanna, it went from being a plea for God to save to praise that God has saved That salvation is here, as we sang earlier. You are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. That's what it was. And that's what the people are declaring as Jesus enters Jerusalem. Hoshiana, salvation is here. Here comes our Savior and King. The problem was they had no clue what that meant. They had a very specific idea of, of what salvation should look like. And it had a lot to do with the government that they were under, the Romans, that this oppressive, dominating, domineering authority. 
Their hope and expectation was that Jesus was now going to use this incredible miracle working power that raised Lazarus from the dead. He's going to use that against the Romans. He's going to overthrow them with power. And he's going to fulfill all the promises given to Abraham, David, and and the Old Testament prophets. That's what salvation meant to the Jews. It was economic. It was political salvation from Roman domination. So, to be clear, they were right about the fact that Jesus, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King of Israel, for sure, whom God had sent to save them. They got that right, but they couldn't be more wrong about the salvation that he would bring them. In fact, they they had no clue what they actually needed to be saved from and how that would be accomplished, which is really powerfully symbolized in how Jesus enters into Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus found a young donkey, verse 14, and sat upon it. As it is written, it's from Zechariah, do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Wow. I'm guessing most of the people in this enormous crowd were so swept up in the hype and excitement of that moment that they missed the significance of of Jesus' mode of transportation. He didn't ride on a white horse, as a conquering king typically would. He rode in on a donkey. See, donkeys and horses were both royal animals that kings would ride. But a white horse was the animal of war that kings would ride into battle to conquer the enemy. The donkey, on the other hand, was the animal a king would ride when the people were at peace. The horse represented war, the donkey, peace. And Jesus, the king of Israel, was coming to bring peace with the people, yes, but not political peace, not peace with Rome, but spiritual peace with God. And Jesus fulfills an important prophecy from Zechariah 9.9, recorded over 600 years earlier as he rides in, not just on the donkey, by the way, but what? On the colt, the foal, the younger, weaker donkey that would only follow after its mother, which was an incredible picture of Jesus' humility his obedience to God the Father, pointing to how Jesus was going to bring this peace, offer this peace to the people. But again, they were completely blind to it. They they didn't get it. In fact, in, in Luke's account of the triumphal entry, this is how upset this made Jesus. Look at this. Luke 19, 41, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you had known on this day, what would bring you peace? But it is hidden from your eyes. Sure, they'd found the Messiah, but my friends, their souls were lost. They were doomed because there was an enemy far more ruthless and eternally more deadly than Rome that they needed to be saved from. Sin. Matthew one twenty one. Jesus came to save his people from their sins. First Timothy one fifteen. Jesus came into the world to do what? To save sinners. Sin which condemns and separates every human being from God. God who alone is holy. We're not. Now, at first, verse 16, his disciples did not understand this 
Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him, that they had done these things to him. Now, the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he performed this sign, went out to meet him. Do you notice why the great crowd comes out to meet him? Right there, verse 18. They came because they had heard he performed this sign. Referring to Lazarus, raising Lazarus from the dead. He did really cool things. He did amazing stuff that that we can't explain. So they came out to see him. This wonder-working man. Do another thing, Jesus, that's cool. Do, Do another miracle, another sign. That's what they came to see. They were sign seekers. But what they failed to see, what they failed to understand was the person the signs all pointed to, who Jesus Christ really is. The reason Jesus performed these signs, the reason the gospel writers recorded them in the gospels for us is summed up right here in John 20. These are written so that, okay? Here's why all this happened. It's so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. But the crowds were more interested in in seeing another sign than believing in God's son. They lived by sight, not by faith. And so as we know, their shouts of Hosanna crown him on Palm Sunday quickly became shouts of crucify him, kill him by Friday. So the Pharisees, verse 19, the Pharisees said to one another, this is is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. More and more people following Jesus. Again, if you think they were threatened before, this is just getting out of hand now. The whole world, that's what it seemed like to them. The whole cosmos is the word for world there. All of God's created order, everyone is going to follow Jesus. We've got to do something about this. By the way, they have no idea just how prophetic their statement is, <laughs> as we see in the next verse. Look at verse 20. Now, there were some Greeks, which I've highlighted, among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to Andrew. Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Some Greeks, (laughs) also translated Gentiles. By the way, Gentiles in the New Testament represent the world, the rest of the world, those who aren't Jewish. Jesus, my friends, isn't just the king of Israel. He is the king of all kings. The king of the whole world whom God sent to save it because God so loved the cosmos that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world, the cosmos, through him. Why do I quote that? John does something really deliberate here. He uses the exact same word from John 3.16 right here. Look how the whole world, the whole cosmos, 
has gone after him. But unlike the Jewish crowd, these Greek Gentiles, they didn't come just to see a sign. That's not what they're looking for. What do they say? We want to see Jesus. We want to see or seek the Savior. That's why they were there. Who is he? We want to know. We want to see him. We want to talk to him. One commentator put it this way. These Gentiles from the West, these Greeks, represent at the end of Jesus' life what the wise men from the East represented at the beginning. People from all over the world genuinely seeking to see and know who Jesus really is and how to follow him. How to follow him. And that's exactly what Jesus explains next. Look at this next verse, verse 23. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay, pause right there. This is really significant because the disciples at this point are still under the same impression as the crowds. Jesus, this, this um, Savior, right? Yes, he's the Messiah, but he's going to save us from Rome. So when he says, okay, the, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, they were probably like, okay, back up. There's going to be an amazing display of power about to happen here. Jesus is going to wipe out the Romans. So look, here it is. This is what we've been waiting for. That wasn't what happened. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This would have been a sucker punch to the apostles and, and probably this little crowd of Gentiles. Uh, the wind would have been sucked right out of their sails here. What, what, what? This is not the display of power they were expecting when, when Jesus said he's about to be glorified. Um, by the way, the word glorified... We, we think exalted, right? We think, okay, like shine the light on, exalt Jesus. Yes, that's a part of what that word means. But the root of that word, doxazo, it means to ascribe weight by recognizing real substance, which means valuing, understanding, worshiping Jesus for who he actually is. We cannot glorify Jesus if we don't actually understand his true identity. And that is what is happening here. But it wasn't going to happen the way they expected. Jesus is basically telling them, I have to die. Because a kernel of wheat has to fall to the ground and die before it can produce any seeds. If people were going to live, Jesus had to die. And then he tells his followers what they have to do in order to follow him. Verse 25, Jesus said, the man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. What's he saying? Jesus is saying, I'm going to die, and here's the thing. If you're going to follow me, you have to be ready and willing to do the same thing. I have to die to give you eternal life, but that means you have to be willing to, to hate, deny, to surrender your earthly life for me. Count it along with everything else you know and love as lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus, as Paul put it in Philippians 3.8. 
And as we serve and follow Jesus the Son, God the Father will honor us. That's what Jesus promises here. By the way, we talked about this in our last message in Acts. Following and serving Jesus Christ. As Paul referred to, it means taking up your cross. But before you take up your cross, what do you have to do? You have to deny yourself. Deny yourself, then take up that instrument of death and follow Jesus daily. Denying ourselves. Following and serving Jesus means being willing to suffer for him, even to the point if death, of death if necessary, in our service and witness to Christ. Witness, martyr, marturian. And then Jesus says this, verse 27, Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify thy name. That right there, my friends, is the ultimate purpose in the universe. That God be glorified. And again, glorified. That that he be worshipped for who he really is. That was always Jesus' aim in everything that he did. And that aim would soon be realized on the cross. Where Jesus' true identity, his true character, his true substance as God's one and only son, the lamb slain, the perfect lamb of God slain for the world, would be realized. Slain for the sins of the world. And then in verse 28, something amazing happens. Uh, The same voice, by the way, that audibly spoke at Jesus' baptism, people could hear it. The same voice that spoke at his transfiguration speaks again. It's the voice of God the Father. Look at verse 28. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. This is the voice of God the Father affirming his son Jesus and promising the coming glory of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross and Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Because that, my friends, is how Jesus is ultimately identified. That is what he came to do. He came to save lost sinners. He came, he was born to die, to live that perfect righteous life and then suffer in our place because God so loved the world. He made a way for us to be saved. That's how Jesus' true identity as God's one and only perfect son would be revealed to the ultimate glory of God the Father on the cross. The crowd that was there and heard it, (laughs) they said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. And then I love what Jesus says. By the way, I need to highlight this for you. Jesus says this in verse 30. By the way, uh, that voice, that was for your benefit, (laughs) not mine. The thunderous voice of God glorifying Jesus' name, what was for the sake of the people so that they might, what? Believe in Jesus, God's one and only Son. The voice of God the Father affirming Jesus, His Son. And then verse 31, Jesus continued saying, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, but I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He said this to show the kind of death he was going to die. This, of course, is pointing ahead to Good Friday, when Jesus would lay down his life by being lifted up on a cross and crucified for the sins of the world. Salvation and eternal life 
for us meant the most excruciating death for Jesus Christ, who wasn't just the king of Israel, but the king of kings, the Lord of lords, God's one and only righteous son, our Messiah, the Christ, whom God sent to save his people from their sins and offer everlasting life and peace with him. As Jesus willingly, willingly suffered and died the death we deserved for our sins on that cross. That's what makes Jesus' trip to Jerusalem the most important and costly trip in all of human history. Because salvation from our sin cost God the death of his only son. There was many in the crowd that day, you think about this, right? That they came with good intentions, right? Get those palm branches out. This is, we're realizing it. This is the king. This is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. They came to do that. They said the right things. But they were just paying Jesus lip service because they did not understand what he actually had come to save them from. They didn't understand the weight of their sin and their guilt, that they were eternally separated from God and that there was nothing they could do to pay for it or cover that debt. Um, Jesus said this in Matthew 15, 8. He said, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Does that describe you today? You've come perhaps with really good intentions, right? You're not that bad a person. You're pretty good. You try to do what's right. Try to be kind. (laughs) Try not to kill anybody. Maybe you even uh, admire Jesus. Yeah, great teacher. Good stuff in that, that Bible. Maybe you even honor Jesus with your lips. You can sing those songs. Praise Jesus. But your heart is far from him if you do not understand or have not surrendered to Jesus Christ as the Lord, Savior of your life. The word Lord means master. Master universally, yes, of everything, but master of you personally. Is Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior? Have, have you repented of your sins? Which means, by the way, turning away from your sins, acknowledging the guilt of your sins, and surrendered in faith to God's one and only Son, Jesus, who came to pay for our sins with His perfect life, His righteous blood given for us. If you haven't done that, if you haven't acknowledged the guilt of your sin and turned away from it, you are at war with God. That's the reality. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, Romans 3.23, and that the wage that we owe for our sin, the payment we owe, I owe for my sin is death which means eternally, eternal suffering in hell. That's what is in, in view there. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
Jesus died for us, but he didn't stay dead. Don't want to give away the ending to the message next week, but Jesus Christ rose victorious from the dead. He physically rose from the dead. Death could not hold him. And in in rising from the dead, he defeated death and hell, and he guaranteed eternal life to anyone who would turn away from their sin and surrender, bow before him as king and Lord. Romans 10.9 promises that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. And you will be given peace with God. You will be made right with him. When he looks at you, he will not see the sin and the vile guilt. He will see the righteousness of his son, Jesus, to whom you've surrendered, to whom you've asked for forgiveness. The thing is, God's offer of peace is for a limited time. Because a day is coming when the kingship of Jesus will look very different than what we've read today. Here's how John saw it in, John, in Revelation 19. <clears throat> I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty." And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hallelujah. Whether you like it or not, whether you choose to believe it or not, does not affect the truth of this eternal reality. Jesus Christ is the returning King of Kings and Lord of Lords before whom every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth will bow. And every tongue will confess, either in repentance and submission to him now, or in regret and judgment then. Because when the kingship of Jesus appears in the skies like that, my friends, it'll be too late to switch sides. So praise God that today, Jesus is the king of kings who still offers peace, and not yet the one riding on a white war horse bringing God's wrath. So this morning, if you have not repented of your sins and surrendered to Jesus Christ, God's Son for forgiveness, it's not too late. Today, you can submit, you can surrender and cry out in faith to Jesus with this word, Hosanna, save me now, Lord, and he will. And then you will be able to cry out in praise along with all of God's people, Hosanna, salvation is here. Salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As God's people, may that be our proclamation to the world this week, my friends. We are subjects of the King of Kings. As we prepare to celebrate the crucifixion and resurrection of our Messiah, Jesus, May we declare that. May we show through our lives that that there is a higher authority 
that we serve and follow Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that will stop us from that. He has given us everything that we need. He's given us his word, which is the truth. He's given us his Holy Spirit to lead us into the truth, to empower us and encourage us, to comfort us in our time of need, and to shine the light of Jesus through us to the glory of God. Let us pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you through faith in Jesus Christ, your Son, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, it's not about us making Jesus Lord. It's about us submitting to his lordship that is already eternally established. It's not about us being willing to accept Jesus It's about your grace in being willing to accept us through faith in Jesus, your precious son, who willingly laid down his perfect life on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin in full so that we could be forgiven and set free and given the gift of eternal life with you, God our Father. Father, if there's anyone here today who has not cried out, Hosanna, Lord, save me. May they cry out to you today. If that is you, you can pray along with me a prayer like this. It doesn't have to be these exact words, but just pray this along in your heart or out loud. Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is your son the King of kings and Lord of lords. I believe that he died for my sin on the cross and that you raised him from the dead. I want to trust him today, so I submit to him as my Savior and and follow him as Lord. Help me do this from this day forward. Guide my life. Help me to do your will. And thank you for the gift of forgiveness of my sins and eternal life through faith in Jesus. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have followed that along in your heart, prayed that to the Lord. You've been saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone listening, if you've prayed that from home, you've been saved. Welcome to the family of God. This is where it starts. The journey begins, and uh, what a privilege it is to journey together. And that's really important because we're not meant to be solo Christians. We're meant to be part of the body of Christ. We need each other for encouragement and support and prayer. We're called to do this life together. So if you are not a part of this church, we'd encourage you to connect here. If you prayed that prayer or didn't pray that prayer but have questions about that and what it means to be a follower of Jesus, ask you to come speak to me or Pastor Paul or any of our leaders you've seen up here this morning. We would love to chat more with you about that, about what it means to follow Jesus and pray with you. But I'll leave it there and I'll turn things over to the worship team as we close our service today. I invite you uh, right now, if you're able, to stand with us as we sing this last song, Crown Him with Many Crowns.
Thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're excited for this week. Once again, remind you of our services this coming Friday, Good Friday at 10 o'clock here, a special communion service that day, uh, of course, and then followed by our early service on Easter Sunday at 8 o'clock, breakfast after that, sign up if you haven't already, sign up out there or contact the office, and then our celebration service, Resurrection Sunday at 10 o'clock. Looking forward to what God has in store for us. Now receive the Lord's blessing. This is from Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. May the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Lord bless you.